Hey, Pastor Scott Rambo here. Join us as we enter into our classroom for this episode and see what it truly means to be followers of Christ. All right, so Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read the first seven verses. This is the question that was posed to us. I had to take some artistic license because I already kind of had something that I wanted to uh, wanted to teach. But because we have the same spirit within us, right, the question did coincide or at least was on the same thought path as what the Lord was already dealing with me. So I took that as a second confirmation of that's exactly what we need to be talking about. So uh, the way I rephrased our question is this. How do we commune and live with people without falling into or causing others to fall into dangerous and sometimes sinful waters? Okay? So in other words, how do we live our Christian lives among men, both in the world and in the church, and not be a stumbling block for each other? Okay? So Matthew 18, we'll start with the first verse. <clears throat> and again, this thought doesn't stop at verse 7, but that's where we're going to stop to to start this off. Read throughout the chapter. Uh, at this time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before him and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But, this is verse 6 here, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's pretty stout words there from our Lord. Woe! If that wasn't enough, he adds a woe. How many knows when you see that in the Bible, we need to stop and recognize. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. So he, he shifts here. We were talking about baby Christians and mature Christians, right? And now he throws a woe to the world because they are already a stumbling block to both themselves and to the things of God, right? They are complete contrary. Just as we was before salvation, we stumbled over ourselves a lot and we stumbled with each other, right? Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. So the thing that we need to understand going into this is to be ignorant and cause somebody to stumble is one thing, but to be with full knowledge and cause somebody to stumble that is a completely different thing. The Lord actually doesn't differentiate between the penalty for a lost sinner, right, as a stumbling block, to that one who causes Christians to stumble on a regular basis with full knowledge. Because ultimately, to do that, you do not have the mind of God, right? You do not have the mind of God. So, if you are one who purposes every day to get up and to try your hardest to cause people to stumble, you probably need to check yourself. Just because you're in the church, you're not of the church. Because what, like we said last week, and we've said several times before, John, Christ talks about this uh, in the Gospel of John. John the Apostle says the same thing in his first epistle. We will be known by this world as followers of Christ because of the love that we have one for another, right? For love for another. Do stumbling blocks come? Yes. Do sometimes those stumbling blocks come from the ones who are closest to us? Yes. 
but we are to learn from those and hopefully they are within ignorance and not from a vendetta or a personal uh, place in someone's heart. I should never, as a Christian, want to see another Christian stumble. Does that make sense? So that's not what we're talking about to, today. That is a woe, that's a warning that we are, we are not to be a stumbling block. And we're going to go through definitions and all that here shortly. What we find most of the time is that we're causing people to stumble without us even realizing what we're doing, right? And when the spirit within us shows us that sin, and it is sin, we'll, we'll see that in Romans, that when we see that, we repent of that, we repair what relationship needs to be repaired, we're still really carrying over from last Tuesday, we repair those relationships, because this is even in the same, we didn't move chapters, this is still Matthew 18, right? We got church discipline coming, he starts with being a stumbling block. So, we repair that relationship, and then we move on from that relationship, right? Not from that relationship, but in that relationship. Amen? Cool. So, do not become a stumbling block. If you're taking notes, that's what I titled this. So stumbling block, uh, it appears 14 times in the Old Testament. It appears six times in the New Testament. Uh, of course, it's two different words and two different definitions because we have Hebrew and Greek, but it's the same word, right? It's the same word. Uh, 4383 is the Strong's definition for Old Testament. 4348 is the Strong's definition for New Testament. Uh, the first time that we see this word used is when God is giving the law to Moses in Leviticus 19 and 14. And uh, it's where the law tells us not to curse the deaf. So if someone is deaf, we shouldn't go behind them because they can't hear us and say whatever we want to say, right? Right? Uh, we're not to curse at the death or put an obstacle in the path of the blind. That's to put a stumbling block in the path of the blind. So think of someone who is deaf, can't hear you, can't hear nothing, and you're walking behind them and slandering them or blaspheming them or saying whatever you want because they can't hear but everybody else can. That's not a Christian, right? That's not Christ-like. Same thing as someone who is visually impaired, blind, can't see, and you go all day long in front of them and throw things in their path hoping that they trip. That's, that doesn't sound like a Christian either. So we can all agree from the onset being a stumbling block for somebody is not a good thing, right? It's not a good thing. We should not want to do that. Matthew 18 uses the word stumble. That's uh, 46.25, and uh, it is in reference to a stumbling block but it's a spiritual side of that, which means to offend or to entice to sin. To entice to sin. So we're talking about some pretty, uh, some pretty important topics when we're talking about being a stomach block. I don't ever want to find myself in a place of being a stumbling block to someone who God is either working in or is... I'm supposed to be witnessing to. We're talking about a lifestyle here, is what we're talking about. One who lives their lifestyle carefree and doesn't care for others, right? Only cares for themselves. Uh, causes people to stumble day and night. They stumble over themselves because themselves they don't care. They just don't. That's part of the conversion Christ said that. They asked, uh, the disciples come and said, who's greatest in the kingdom? And he grabs a kid. And he says, none of you. You have to be like this kid. You have to be converted. You have to be humble. right? You have to be contrite. You have to be repentant. There's a lot of things that goes into a life of a converted Christian. Those see the kingdom, but nevertheless, the warning still goes out. Don't, just because you've gained the kingdom and you've gained some knowledge that may maybe somebody else doesn't have. You know, I've been in this thing a while. I've matured in Christ, and I've learned of his word. I have knowledge that some people don't, right? A baby Christian shouldn't have as much knowledge as you have that's been on this walk for X amount of years, right? 
I shouldn't have the same amount of knowledge today, right, that I do a year from now. I should strive to gain knowledge, and we are supposed to study to show ourselves approved, is what the word says. But there are those around us, new converts, converts who have, aren't, aren't new but haven't learned, right, haven't took the time to study and to pour into them the word of God. Uh, they stumble out of ignorance a lot because they do not know. They just don't know. Now it is responsibility for us as more mature Christians to show them, right? Hey, you, you shouldn't have to do that, right? You shouldn't be doing that. But not to lord it over them. That's what we're talking about. Not to take an offense that's already defensive, right? That if they are a true Christian, the, the Lord's already convicted them over it. The spirit that's within him, if they are living in a stumbling place, we'll put it that way, they're under conviction. That they are, because I am, <laughs> right? Whenever I fall into flesh, whenever I let flesh rise up, whenever I get up that morning and I decide that I'm going to rule this day, right, instead of walking in the light of the Lord that like we're supposed to, then I stumble and I cause people to stumble around me, even if I don't realize it. Because people look at me in the position that I have in this church as a, as a professing Christian, right? People look at us and they should see a difference. And I do realize that there is an aspect that people watch us just to see us fail, right? Just to see, well, oh, oh, oh Miss Eddie, look, I don't care how long she's been a Christian. I've seen, I seen, seen her do this. Man, I tell you what, we all the same. No. Because if that person is truthful, they can look at the life of Miss Eddie and say, well, she may be a it may be a shortcoming now, but she has a life meet of repentance, right? It shouldn't be, well, I expected Brother Ethan to do that because that's just Brother Ethan. No, whenever we hear, as a church, as a family, whenever we hear Brother Ethan did such and such, I, I'm not picking on anybody. He's just the one that made eye contact. Brother Ethan did such and such. The first thought that comes to our mind should be, not Brother Ethan. Like, no, not him. I need to go seek this out. I need to go find the truth. I need to go make sure, right? And that's, that's a biblical stance on that. We're, we're not supposed to take anybody at face value, and it should shock us when we hear Christians, quote-unquote, sinning. It, it shouldn't be commonplace. We see that far too many times in this world that professing Christians, churchgoers, live a life of sin, and it doesn't shock us, and it should. It should shock us when, when Tabitha lives for Christ, but yet lives in the world. That should shock me. Cool. All right. <laughs> when it comes to living with or around people, uh, we find ourselves... Uh, immersed in many different topics and discussions. Uh, one of the questions from, from the group me that y'all read was, how do we talk about politics, right, and, and, and not cause people to stumble or, or provoke people to anger? Well, this is kind of a, a, a Pauline way of doing it. The, the Lord says this, but Scott says, just don't talk about it because uh, red-button topics that really don't matter one way or the other I'll tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says is we got to do what the government tells us to do up until the point it interferes with what the Word of God tells us to do. And even as Christians, me and Brother Matt don't agree 100% on politics. We may or may not agree 100% on the doctrines of the Bible. When it comes to the core doctrines, absolutely we do because we're not of the same spirit if we don't. But the secondary issues is where we find most of our stumbling blocks thrown in front of people. Well, you don't believe exactly like I do. You know, you say we're going to be raptured out of here before the tribulation starts. I say it's going to be in the middle of the tribulation. Brother Ethan says it's, it, it's just going to happen whenever. That can be a stumbling block, and it is to many, to many. But thing with politics, yeah. what my Bible tells me is God put those people in power. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I, I've been in conversation with people in a, in a cricket store a while back. That guy, they were talking about Trump, this and that. And I tell them, I don't like Trump. I don't like Biden. 
But I said, God put them there. I said, do you believe the Bible? Because God put people in power. Oh, yeah. And it may be to punish people because that's what he did in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the way he punished by putting this king or this whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's just... But we, and I'm not saying that we, we have topics that we can't talk about. We have the liberty to talk about whatever we want, and that's exactly what we're getting into. Uh, but there are topics that we probably shouldn't talk about, right? They're not beneficial to the kingdom. They're not beneficial to relationships. They're just not beneficial. They're really not. I could sit down with my father, who I love, my daddy, and talk about certain topics that I already know. We'll be, we'll be almost to a fist fight before I leave that house. We both love each other, right? Father and son, he would, he would, he would, oh, he would do things to protect me, right? But we can be at each other's throat in just a matter, just about that fast. I can walk in and say one sentence to my father, and I know exactly how to stump, make him stumble. He'd do the same thing to me. So the Bible tells us, and what we're going to see is, we just don't do that. There's just things we don't talk about. I love him as a father. We agree, we agree as fellow Christians who Christ is, what Christ did, what he's doing currently, what he's going to do in the future. And we'll put the rest to bed if we have to. We, there's things that don't have to have answers. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So be slow to speak, right? That's the biggest thing. How do we live a life? with less and less stumbling blocks, a lot of times it's just not opening our mouths, being silent, listening more than we speak. Because listening does many things, but what it, what it does mostly is I know exactly what I shouldn't say to you. Because <laughs> I learn you. Whenever I listen more than I speak, I know what easily besets you, just as I know what easily besets me. That's why communication is so, so, so important. So we are to be careful when talking about hot-button issues such as politics, relationships, family. Yeah, family. We, we said it Sunday morning in, in Sunday school. At the end of the day, my relationship, as long as it doesn't go against the Word of God, my relationship between me and my wife and my, my son is just that. It's our family, right? And uh, the, your relationship is your relationship. There are things that we should be involved in, but there are clear things that we should not be involved in 100%. Now, if me and Tab come to you in confidence and say, hey, we have this, this thing that we need help with, well, then you've been invited. The door's open more than welcome to give your opinion but there are hot button topics that we just shouldn't shouldn't engage in shouldn't talk about especially with the world because matthew 18 said it christ said it itself we're we're already we're already engaged in a stumbling process with the world to live as a christian is the greatest offense to this world we cause this world to stumble every day in a good sense, in a righteous sense, right? Because they do stumble over the Word. They should stumble over the Word. When I witness about my Christ, about the biblical Christ, and it's not offensive to the world, I'm not talking about the biblical Christ. I'm not giving the gospel because the gospel is an offense. Paul said it. Peter said it. Christ said it. To the Jew, it's a what? Stumbling block, right? To the Greek, it's foolishness. That's the same, it's the same thing. They stumble over the Word of God because it goes against what they believe. Same thing as I did too. I fought, I fought the things of God as an unsaved individual, right? I still struggle with things of God now, but it, it's a striving to righteousness. I'm not stumbling over it i find sometimes where i fall upon that great millstone and i'm grinded from time to time but it's all for the betterment of myself so know that the bible speaks more uh, of our relationships with fellow believers than it does with the world 
okay? We could have went several different places, but we are to separate from the world. Is that 100% possible? No, it's not. I can't completely separate from this world. We live in this world. We're in this world, but not of this world, right? I, I shouldn't go seek out relationships with people who are 100% worldly, right? We have family, we have friends already who, who, who are unsaved, and uh, we witness to those, we witness to this world. But know who you're talking to, that's, that's what I'm saying. Know that you're already going to be at odds with each other at the very core of whatever you're talking about to be a Christian and to be speaking to, the, to somebody that's in the world, right? You already are at odds with each other. What the Bible does say is to separate. It says to separate. Therefore, we are to speak slow, uh, be quick to pray. Prayer life is key in all of this, to have discernment, when to speak, when not to speak, when to know a door is open, when to know a door is closed. Uh, ask questions within yourself daily. Uh, is this a fellow believer? When, when you're talking to people, are they a Christian? That's another way of saying it. Are they a new Christian? Because that matters too. It matters too to know who you're speaking of. Are they a fellow believer that has been saved for a while but still requires milk like we were talking about before? You need to know who you're talking to. Uh, all questions to consider when interacting with people. The Bible tells us to be ever watchful over our heavenly family. Just as and more, we are watchful over our physical family. We need to be the exact same way and closer with God's people, with God's people. So let's look at Romans 14, 1 through 9. Uh, 1 through 13, actually, sorry. How to not be a stumbling block. Remember, 14 times in the Old Testament... Six times in the New Testament, we're covering about five of the six times in just these two passages of Scripture. So Paul had quite a lot to say about it. Peter had somewhat to say about it as well. Of course, uh, the, the biggest conflict, if you want to put it that way, in the Bible on this topic is between Paul and Peter. Because Peter, this is what Paul rebuked Peter for, for being a stumbling block to the Gentile Christians. That's exactly what he was doing. Peter, or Peter come into town, and he seen a, a, a bunch of Jews sitting down, and he went and sat down with the Jews instead of with the Gentiles, and you go, well, he had to have a place to sit. Yeah, but it's more important in what he was associating himself with, right? He was associating himself with those who were saying that you had to follow the law. It was faith plus works, faith plus works. So Paul gets up and goes, and he says, hey, that's wrong, Peter. You can't be doing that. And the Bible says that Peter said, oh, yeah, you're right. And, but it, he was being a stumbling block to the new Christians who Paul, through Paul's ministry, had been converted. And he was being a stumbling block even to himself because Christ himself told him that it's not just for the Jewish people. It's not just for a certain person or it's for the world right it's for everybody both Jew and Greek so let's read Romans 14 we'll read the first 13 verses like I said you really could read all 23 uh, now accept the one who is weak in faith we'll stop right there weak in faith what do you think that means Nope, nobody. New Christian, right? New Christian. Didn't say except the one who had no faith, right? It said except the one who was weak in faith. But they have faith. We we can go back to the order of salvation. It, you're given faith to be saved, right? So they've been they've been accepted. They're they're in the kingdom. So of course we should accept them. Accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purposes of passing judgment. On his opinions. So accept them in as who they are and accept them in knowing that they don't know everything you do. Right? 
But that's our responsibility to raise up this next generation. Life begets life, right? One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who, I, I stopped right there because I've heard that, that verse taken out of context a lot to say, well, you see, that's why we're supposed to eat meat because vegetarians are weak. That is not what that verse is saying. All right, that's not what that verse is saying. You're a loser. Right, right, that's not what that verse is saying. That verse is also saying if all you want to do is eat salad, doesn't mean that you're going to be weaker than me. You may be stronger than me. I don't know. Depends on how much red meat I eat. You could probably take me pretty easily because I'm not going to be able to run from you with my gout. So uh, to to go on a more vegetable diet for me probably would be better. I'm just being honest with y'all. But I like like meat. But... (laughs) I stumble myself, right? I already know that, but there we are. Sorry. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. See, that's important to understand, that when it comes to these secondary things, we're not talking about the core doctrines. But we, we know this. This is us here. We understand that if you have a different form of salvation, we have issue and we need to talk. We really do. If you have a different view of who Christ is, we have issue and we need to talk. We really do. But when it comes to the secondary issues of this Bible, although issues nevertheless, we we can have conversation and we can talk, but maybe not all the time, right? Me and me and... Matt may be able to talk about certain things that me and Ethan can't talk about because I understand where Ethan is or I understand where Matt is. Does that make sense, right? So, but nevertheless, God has accepted him. So I need to accept him. Uh, Verse 4, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Right. Uh, like I said, we don't have time to go through every bit of this. We're working to verse 13. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully con- convinced in his own mind. He who deserves the day or observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. We've been bought with a price. We're, we don't live for ourselves. All of my possessions are God's. I don't live in my house. I live in God's house. I don't drive my vehicle. I drive God's vehicle. I don't work. This is hard. I don't work all day long in the searing heat. And make a paycheck to say I have made money. I'm a steward of what God has given me. Everything that I, I'm a servant. I'm a slave to my master. I don't own anything. I'm a steward. God has our good master, nevertheless, has has placed us in responsibility of things. When you start to think about our actual relationship between our Lord and our master. A lot of this stuff starts to melt away. How can I be a stumbling block for somebody? I don't own anything myself. Right? Verse 8. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Right? For in this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God therefore that's why we had to read all of this why is that therefore 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 let us not judge one another anymore but rather determine this 
not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Okay? That was a lot of words. Paul used a lot of words. He packs a lot into each sentence. Basically, he's saying, we all have our thoughts, our beliefs. We're united through the Spirit that's in us on the core beliefs. Right? Secondary issues are just that. They're secondary. They're not pertaining to salvation. They're not pertaining to the gospel. They're not pertaining to witnessing or furthering the kingdom. They're for things that are left to come. I don't know the end. That's why we didn't start in Revelations. I don't know. I know what the Bible says. I know what I believe the Bible to say. But the future is just that. It's, it's veiled, still in mystery, yet to be revealed. I, I don't know. I don't claim to have it all figured out. Right? And when you talk to somebody who does claim to have it figured out, I stumble. I really do. Because you can't. You can't. You don't know the future. Right? How can you say God's going to come back on this day when, when Christ says, Nobody knows when the Son of Man shall return. Right? I can't pinpoint it down. Many people have tried. 88 reasons why he come back in 88. Sorry, I had it wrong. 89 reasons why he's going to come back. 2,000 reasons why he's coming back in 2,000. I don't know. All I know is he's coming back. We can unite in that, right? I know that he's king and he's Lord. We can unite in that. I know that there's going to be a kingdom. Whether it's here now or later to come. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like uh, R.C. Sproul. He was an amillennialist. That's way too much to get into right now. Uh, but And his, his best friend, John MacArthur, is a, a premillennialist. Says that we're going to be raptured before the, the millennial reign, which I, I tend to believe because that's what I believe the Bible to say. Cool. But R.C. Sproul said this. He said, I believe what I believe. John MacArthur believes what he believes. We unite on the core doctrines, and I'm willing to change my theology midair. What he said, it doesn't matter. It, it really, it really doesn't matter. He said, "All I know is I have lived my life ready to go, ready to go." Right? If I go by the grave, so be it. If I'm called up to meet him in the air, praise God. Right? Uh, of course, R.C. Sproul has went on to be with the Lord, and uh, they had a panel not too long ago reminiscing about the life of R.C. Sproul, and and that come up that he was a pre. Uh, uh, an amillennialist and uh, somebody jokingly asked did, did he take that to the grave did he, did he continue on with that right and uh, somebody said no he's a premillennialist since he's died he's with the Lord right he's, he's there so of course not he changed his theology the day he died so whatever I don't care that's what I'm saying he is but this is this splits denominations, this splits churches, this causes people who God is seeking to fall away, and it really, it really doesn't matter. What the Bible says is be ready. Be ready. Because I am coming back, right? That's what I'm saying. Don't be a stumbling block for it. If you can't agree with somebody on something, it's okay. It's okay to disagree. We do not have to agree 100% on everything that's in this Bible. We don't. We do have to agree on who Christ is, how we come to Christ, and how we keep ourselves in Christ. Right? We need to agree on those things. If we can agree on those things, the Bible says that we can and should be in union with each other, in fellowship with each other, and we should strive to keep each other in union, right? So, summary of Romans 14. Don't make an, the issue about judging, okay? Don't make the issue about judging, but don't use your liberty to stumble another brother either. Uh, it says, let us not judge one another anymore. The Sermon on the Mount Jesus helps us to understand exactly what that, what that means, right? We know that we are and can and do judge people rightly by the fruits that we bear. We are fruit inspectors. But that how we judge each other 
is how we will be judged. So if I judge people on a strict, strenuous, every day I find something wrong with you, I can expect my life to be put under a microscope every day of my life. I don't want to live like that. I don't. That's what the Sermon on the Mount tells us, what Jesus tells us. You are judged to the standard of how you judge other people. Okay? Because ultimately, what, what does Christ say? That you, you judge and you look and you see and you discern by what's in your heart. If your heart hasn't been changed, you're a very judgmental person. We are by nature. You're not like me, so I don't like you, right? I think you should be, everybody should be like me because I think I'm perfect, right? After salvation, I realize how unperfect I am, even still today. So I judge a little differently, right? Because I know you're not perfect because I'm not perfect. But as a Christian, and I can see fruit that you are a Christian, I know that even though I can see imperfections, God's working in you. And you should be able to look at me and see imperfection, but know that God's working in me, right? <clears throat> uh, so we're not to judge anymore, is what Paul said, but this does not take away the need and the responsibility that we see in the next chapter over, Romans 15, about ad- admonishment, right? It doesn't negate what 2 Timothy 4 and 2 teaches us about rebuke, right? We, there are times when we do need to rebuke one another. If you're in sin, whether you know it or not, and I see it, I'm responsible, right? Your sin now becomes my sin if I see that and I choose not to point it out. I am now in sin because I know to do good. And what the Bible tells me is what good is is for the betterment of you to rebuke you in love, everything in love, but to rebuke you nevertheless and to cause you to understand what you're doing because you may not know what you're doing or you may know what you're doing. doesn't matter. We have to do it because to know to do good and to do not, that's sin. Uh, so it doesn't do away with that. When we admonish or we rebuke, we do it over clear spiritual, biblical principles, right? That's what we're talking about. If I see Miss Stephanie in Walmart witnessing, and, and I'm going to throw something crazy out there so we know she would never do this, and, and I see her witnessing to this person, and, and I overhear her saying, Yeah, you love Muhammad? That's fine. He's all, we're, we all serve the same God. No, 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 no. That's time for rebuke. Right? That's time for rebuke. Right, that's what I'm saying. But the spirit within you would say, if I'm saying that, you need to check, make sure I'm not having a stroke. Something, something's wrong, right? Uh, but but if, I overhear, if I overhear Stephanie witnessing, saying that Christ is, you know, will go to meet him in the air uh, after the tribulation, okay, all right, that, okay. Maybe I would say, at the most, I would say, you know, during witnessing, probably shouldn't be talking about the coming of Christ anyway. You should be talking about the law and sin and the bad news because then the good news is good. Yeah, just be ready, be ready, be ready. And right now you're not ready, right? Uh, like that what one speaker said, I, you don't have to know everything the Bible says. We will teach you that. You need to know who Christ is, right? So when we witness, that's a way we cause people to stumble too. We give too much information, Right? And I'm not saying to hold anything back. If a door is open, a door is open, right? For Brother Ethan, apologetics is a big deal. So, so during his conversion, right, he wanted information. I'm going off of what I know of him now. He wanted information. I, I did too. For somebody else, apologetics and information may not be the strongest thing, right? Christ is revealed to you in the way that he needs to be revealed to you. And we need to understand that. So if I went to, to Tabitha, knowing my wife, and she's unsaved, she's not unsaved. Let me, let me talk that back, right? My, <clears throat> for, for the record, my wife is a saved Christian. Okay. Uh, but take my wife as she is, as she is in her nature, 
right? If I would to slam her with the information and the apologetics that me and Ethan talk about, I would overwhelm her within 30 seconds and she would shut me off and she would quit, quit listening, right? She would quit listening. Know who you're talking to. That's the one thing that saved Ethan would be the thing that causes my wife to stumble. Does that make sense? We're not necessarily talking about sin all the time, all the time, <coughs> although the Bible does talk about that, okay? It does talk about that. If I cram information down my unsaved wife's throat and she goes five, six, ten, twenty more years before coming to salvation, have I not let her in the sin? She's lived that much longer in the world, right? So it all ends up one way or the other. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13. We'll read and we'll wrap this up because I, I wanted to show uh, what the Bible said about stumbling blocks. cool thing about the Bible is uh, these are two different books right written for two different reasons talking about the same thing so in my book if the Bible talks about it more than once we probably should listen I seen some head nods on that that was kind of a see if you're listening if the Bible talks about it period we should listen right especially though if it, if it repeats itself <clears throat> probably important Christ did that a lot when he said truly truly right I say to you barely barely I say to you uh, when he said stuff like that that was normally followed by stuff that nobody else was saying, right? So <clears throat> you're not going to hear this kind of stuff in the world, right? You're not going to. You only hear this stuff when we speak from the Bible. So 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13 says, now. so, so before we read, what, were we, what was the theme of Romans 14? What were we talking about? Being a stumbling block to who? One weaker in faith, a, a, a new Christian, right? A new Christian. <clears throat> See if this rings, rings true through 1 Corinthians. Now concerning things, sacrifice to idols. You go, what? Right? Uh-huh. But listen, we know, right? I like how Paul speaks. I, I really do. Now concerning things, sacrifice to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Okay, so who is he talking to right now? We're talking Christians, but mature Christians, right? So we're talk we were talking about weaker Christians, our new Christians in Romans. Now we're talking about those who have knowledge, those who are seasoned, right? That's a good way to say it. Those who understand some some things of the Word of God. Uh, knowledge makes arrogant. Hold up, wait a minute. But love edifies. Now that right there, does that say that we shouldn't have knowledge? No. But that does tell me that knowledge can be dangerous used wrongly. Right? You can look in the world and see that. You can look throughout the, the Reformation. The whole reason the Reformation came to be because a certain group of people chose to keep the Word of God in a language that nobody could read. Right? Because we were too ignorant to understand. No, we just didn't know Latin because we spoke English right or spoke german or spoke some other language but that's exactly what the the catholic church did was they said that we're you're weaker you don't understand so we're going to teach it to you the problem is is that they taught us the wrong thing right they taught us the wrong thing so then the reformation comes where god brings again the word of himself to man where we can read in our own language and that's what we see today where I don't have to go off of what Brother Matt says or what Brother Scott says, when I can listen to those who have shown fruit, right, but then I can always back them up with the Word of God because at the end of the day, you have, I'm doing this for emphasis, the best teacher in the Word of God, not Scott, not Pastor Scott, not, not any. Jesus Christ, the Word, teaches us of Himself in His Word, right? At the end of the day, take everything away from you. As long as you have a Bible, you're going to make heaven. 
You're going to make heaven because God speaks through his word. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. So, just because you have knowledge doesn't mean you have all knowledge. We're not God. I'm not all-knowing. I only know what I know, and I only know what I know today. Tomorrow I may know something different, right? I may know that I have been led into error, right? Thank God that that's, that's been shown to us. But what I knew yesterday is now garbage, right? I only know what I know today, and I have trust that God's going to lead me into tomorrow where he reveals yet again another step, another another place, another faith to faith, another glory to glory, right? So just because you know something today, you need to understand that there are people out there that know more than you, and there are people out there that know less than you at any given time, at any given time. Brother Gene knows more about electricity than I will ever know, ever, because he has studied, and he's had experience in it, and I don't care to know. Right? I don't care to know. I, I told uh, the boys today at work how I found, I couldn't find a breaker, Brother Gene, for a, for a, a series of plugs in my kitchen in the, in the house in Effie. So after being shocked several times, uh, I went and grabbed a pair of clines and I cut the wire and sparks flew everywhere. But then I went to the breaker box and I'd seen the breaker that flipped, right? Uh, that's... I was I was told that that's not the way to do that. Right? That's yes. That that's that's not the way to do that. Right? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm being I'm being funny, but but let's let's roll it back spiritual. Why 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 do we find? That even though we witness the true gospel, even though we live our life out among this world, people still die and go to hell. Because the Bible tells us ultimately they do not care where they go. They don't. This same this is the number one selling book today. And it's been the number one selling book. And it will continue to be the number one selling book. People still die and go to hell because they do not care. They don't care. They don't care. That's it. I could exactly. Oh, I know. I could. Well, they think. They think of God. They think of God like we think of Zeus, or Odin, or or any of the Greek mythologies and all. That. We know that's garbage. But they say the same thing about our God, and you can't make me believe that it's not that it's garbage. You can't. Matter of fact, it brings a tear to my eye to even think of my God being associated with someone man-made. Like, you can't do that. You can't do that. But that's just it. God has revealed himself to me. He's revealed himself to me. But let's continue on. What verse did we leave off on? Go. No, we left off on three. Verse four. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know... We know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, right? That's what we're talking about, Odin, Zeus. We know that idols aren't real, right? Is it, oh, you'll have to help me, Bible scholar. Is it James or John that talks about, uh, oh, talks about the wood. A man goes and cuts down wood. He, he, he cuts the tree. And then he fashions that tree into an idol, and then he turns around and he, he worships that idol like he didn't just cut it down out of the forest. Yeah, it's a dumb idol. We'll, we'll get back to on that. But the, the Bible does reference that, that a man is so dumb that he'll go and cut a tree down and carve out of that tree that he hewed down an idol and turn around and worship that like it's God, and he just, he just took it out of the forest. Right? He just took it out of the floor. That's how uncaring we are. Well, I'm not going to seek out the real God. I'll just make one for myself. It's be Isaiah fine. 49. It's a reference to Isaiah, but it's in the New Testament as well. It may be Hebrews. It may be Hebrews. But uh, we'll, we'll get back to you on that. 
Verse 4, Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. Right? There's no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one, the Father, from whom all things are all things, and we exist for him, the one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Do you catch how he said that twice? That's a very Hebrew thing. That's important. However, not all men have this knowledge. Right? We know all of this. But this world does not know that. Because one, they don't choose to know. Or two, they haven't been revealed this knowledge yet. Right? We need to remember that. <clears throat> but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if they were sacrificed to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not condemn us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in the idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whom sake Christ died. And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, what's that last, what's them last four words say? You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brethren to stumble. What does that say? You say, well, of course I would not eat. I wouldn't go to an idol's temple and, and, and eat in the restaurant. Well, history, and we're running out of time. History is just like it is today. Where do you go to eat? Where it's good. But if it's good and it's cheap, isn't that better? So this is what would happen. Uh, sacrifice would be given to a heathen god. Okay, and it would be cut into three portions. One would be burnt for the idol. One would be given to the the ministers for food, the priest, and a portion would be given to the worshippers for food. Okay, so you could eat at the altar. If the priests didn't want their portion, they would sell the meat in the market. So Christians were going to the market buying cheap meat because it was cheap. Right? They're being persecuted. They can't go out and they can't go do, so they're feeding their families. The question was to Paul, the apostle, what happens if we buy meat and it, it was sacrificed to an idol? I didn't know that. Can I still eat it? Right? So that's where all this is coming from. But also at the base of all these temples was a restaurant where they would actually cook the meat like on the street and stuff, and it was cheap and you could eat. So is it wrong to eat meat? Sacrifice to idols. No. If you don't know it. But ultimately we know that idols don't exist. Right? That's not a God. It's meat. God's made all things good to eat. So spiritually, do I lose my salvation if I eat meat given to idols? Paul says no. Absolutely not. We have knowledge. We understand that. But for someone who is weaker, who sees us eat meat from an idol, all they know, all they see, and all they know is that I'm eating meat sacrificed to that idol. And you go, well, yeah, that was a huge thing in Corinthians. Same thing today. Why do I choose, as a pastor of a church and a professing Christian, not to go eat the awesome buffet at the, at the casinos? So the minute I roll up in that casino, it doesn't matter if I'm there to eat the buffet. I'm at a casino. And all people see is the pastor of Abundant Church at a casino. Right? Yes. I was going there next. Oh, I was going there next. Okay. <clears throat> I worked for Procter & Gamble yes. for seven years, yep. right? I remember as a kid boycotting Procter & Gamble mm -hmm. because of what they stood for. My pastor stood up in the pulpit and said, we got to boycott Procter & Gamble, 
and places like Procter & Gamble because they don't stand for the word of God. They stand for things we are against. We found out real quick, you can't go buy anything. Procter & Gamble own everything. They own batteries. They own Pringles. They own coffee. They own soap. They owned everything. So eventually we had to start buying product from them. So there are things that you stand on in your belief, right? And this is, we're getting back to that stumbling block and we're going to end with this. Is if you are convicted from buying products from that, then don't do it. But you can't turn around and look at Matt who buys Pringles and say, you're less of a Christian because you do that, right? right? So, and that's the exact same thing. And, and the other way around, Brother Matt can't look at you and go, well, who are you all high and mighty because you don't want to buy these products, right? In the end, we are all convicted the same way. But there are things that I'm convicted of that are sin for me that aren't sin for you. The, the story that I like to bring up, and you can ask my dad this, it's true. He's wore cowboy boots since he was big enough to buy cowboy boots, right? That, that's just shoes for him. It's not a big deal. Him and my Uncle Aubrey got saved in and around the same time. My Uncle Aubrey wore cowboy boots as a, as a statement of pride because cowboy boots were expensive. And instead of going to get the, the cowhide cowboy boots, he'd get the ostrich or the snakeskin. It, it, was, it was prideful for him. He was convicted, okay, of wearing cowboy boots. I have never seen my Uncle Aubrey in a pair of cowboy boots other than maybe a pair of work boots or something, right? He took those expensive cowboy boots, and lo and behold, my dad was the same foot size, and he, my dad was blessed with all of these cowboy boots. What my Uncle Aubrey was convicted over for him was sin. Not a big deal for my dad, right? Not a big deal. It wasn't, it's not sin. It's not sin. He didn't have pride over it. It was just, it's just what he grew up wearing. Right? And he, boy, whoo, he loved them. Boy, it was good. Like he said, look at these ostrich boots, man. These are nice. But I've also seen him give pairs away. Right? I, I've seen, it's, it, what your convictions are is just that. They're your convictions. We're not talking core problems, core issues. We should all be convicted over the same thing. Right? Pride, all, all, that, all that stuff. But I'm not convicted over washing my clothes with Tide you might be buy something else, right? Not a big deal. I will tell you this, though. I will tell you this, and I'm not saying that this is, this is the, the, a wrong way or a right way to live, but if you start researching the products that we buy, you're going to have to grow your own garden. You're going to have to make your own clothes. You're going to have to walk or have a horse. It's the world we live in. It's really it's the world we live in. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Give what is to Caesar Caesar's, right? Keep what God is God's. All of this plays into it, but at the end of the day, that's just it. If the spirit within you is convicting you over something, listen to the spirit. Listen to your conscience, right? Your conscience has been changed. What used to damn you now sets you free. The spirit that you were led by was wrong. Now the spirit that you're led by is right. Right? If you have... if you have a thought in your head that says I shouldn't do that, then don't do it. Don't do it. Unless it goes... Your but that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Just because you don't buy a product shouldn't cause me to stumble, and I shouldn't hold that to you. You shouldn't hold that to me. And that's exactly it. You know, some, you know let's just say, well, well, Toyota stands for gay pride or whatever. Well, we just went through gay pride month, June. Every corporation who had sense, business sense, shook hands with, with gay pride, and then the second gay pride month was over with, cut ties, because it's too much of a stigma, I've left too many people out, right? So, we live in a world of shifting sand, right? Stand upon the word, stand upon Christ, and listen to your convictions, right? But don't lord those convictions over somebody else. Make sense? Cool. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the ability to stand uh, in your presence, oh God, to, to be with fellow believers and to discern your word rightly, to talk about topics, oh God, and to be able to listen and to learn and to reason together, oh God. I ask that you move upon each and every one that is here. 
Lord, the ones who aren't here, oh God, you see them as well. Lord, move in their lives the same. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for being in class with us today. Tune in next week as we dive back into God's Word and learn more of Him.